Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson. Brian, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm not too shabby. Uh, I can't see your face, so that's all. That's disappointing. I, 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 the, it feels like we're missing a little something, but we're going we're gonna to proceed anyway. Okay, well, uh, I mean, I can... Here, let me, let me switch. Uh, now you can joking. see my ceiling fan. Because I'm using my oh, phone yeah. here, so there it is. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that's my face. That's what I look like. You know, in case you forgot. Uh, but yeah, so we we wanted to do a podcast. We don't have Brunts today. We he is uh, he's taking some much needed vacation time, which means he's only working 20 hours of the day instead of 21. Um, big sacrifice for Brunts there. But uh, Brian, some major news came in on Monday, Nebraska. Got the news that I think that they were anticipating uh, for a while. J.D. Spielman will be officially leaving the program. He put himself in the transfer portal. And I want to start with this. First and foremost, what do you think this means for Nebraska for 2020? Um, I mean, I, I don't want to diminish the the gap that is left by a guy who three times in his career had – seasons where he had more than 800 receiving yards. I mean, that's significant. Hardly anyone has done that at Nebraska where they even have an 800-yard season, and he did it three times. So when it was game time, uh, J.D. Spielman usually stepped up, and he was a really tough guy who would take big hits. See the Illinois game last year as a prime example of that. That said, I think it was understood over a North Stadium since March uh, that it was 50% at best that J.D. was probably coming back or not coming back. And so if you look at it from Matt Lubick's standpoint, ever since he arrived here, I don't think he went into it with the idea that he was necessarily ever going to coach J.D. Spielman. And so he's looked at his roster almost since arrival as, what's in front of me? How can I develop these guys this is what we have to work with and we just got to build young players up in a hurry and we've got to, that that's the mission. And so I don't think there was any distraction um, from his standpoint or Nebraska coaches really about JD. It was sort of, if he comes back and that works out, I guess that's a cherry on top, but something you didn't necessarily expect. So I don't think this really throws Nebraska for a loop, honestly, because I think for like three months, it's been thought that this was, a very good likelihood. Yeah. I I think they knew that this was coming. Um, It does that, that production has to be replaced. And so that becomes kind of the big question. And I don't know if it's going to be any one person that steps in and replaces a 900 some yards or whatever that you would have expected out of JD Spielman. Uh, But they do have a lot of options uh, at the wide receiver spot, it's just a lot of unproven options. And so that makes it kind of scary going into this year in which you already felt pretty concerned about what it was going to look like for Nebraska at wide receiver. And then you remove the one guy who had been pretty consistent for the last three seasons. Yeah. And JD and JD Spielman is, it's a fascinating story. I mean, maybe we expected it, but you have a guy who's on the doorstep of holding all the major receiving records at Nebraska, you know, he probably would have had that record by the time September had ended. And so it is an unusual situation uh, when a guy steps away from that. But I, 
I've never really gotten to know JD that well. He was always pretty distant to us. I think the last time he did an interview uh, with the media was after the Wisconsin game in Madison in 2018. That was the last interview I remember him doing uh, with everybody. Uh, so it was all it was kind of hard to get to know him uh, to know exactly what he was thinking. But I know that he has a lot of different interests. Um, I know that. You know, he was really good at football, but that doesn't always mean it's your your top love. And so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But as for the current roster, um, you know, everybody talks about Omar Manning, but I start, I get really interested about guys like uh, Marcus Fleming and William Nixon and Elante Brown, who I could see sort of being guys who you could cast in that J.D. Spielman mold. And maybe they're not him right away. But between that combination of guys, like you say, if you can get a couple of them, like say one of them can get you 350 yards and another can get you 275 yards and you kind of patchwork it together, uh, you fill that blank that's on the page that, that's missing with Spielman. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I like the, the pieces there. I mean, whether it's Elante Brown or Marcus Fleming uh, or even William Nixon, I mean, I, I think that there's. There's guys that can certainly fill that that interior slot role. And then, of course, there's players on campus, too. Uh, Demarion Houston, Jamie Nance, that we are going to hear more from uh, that, that can fill some of that production. And, and Wandale Robinson, of course. And then you already mentioned Omar Manning, Xavier Betts. I mean, they, they have options. And it's just a matter of convincing yourself that not everything is going to be a failure. And, and part of it is through two seasons – they don't have a single developed wide receiver yet outside of Wandale Robinson, who hasn't necessarily developed. And he spent a lot of time playing between two positions. But we sort of talk about him like it's obvious that he's going to have a big season. And I, I think that he will, but he, he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't had the production that J.D. Spielman has had yet. And so you, you do a lot of hoping and, and wishing as it relates to the wide receivers. Another area where I think we're going to see some of the production – made up from uh, could be at running back where I, you got guys like Sevion Morrison that could work uh, in space as kind of a, a slot wide receiver, duck R type running back, Ramir Johnson in that same kind of role. And then of course the tight ends, uh, which, you know, people love here in Nebraska. We talked about last week with Tyler Hoppus having that nice year in 2017. And prior to that, it would have been Kyler Reed. And, and prior to that, it would have been Matt Arian and Tracy Wistrom and, Tight end has just been a, uh, a position where people keep waiting for that to, to kind of bust out. And I think this could be the year where, by virtue of needing to throw to somebody, you could see a little bit more production from the tight ends as well. So it's, it's going to take a lot of different people uh, to, to pull this together. Um, but the, the other thing that I find sort of interesting is if you look at the way Nebraska has gone out and recruited wide receiver – they've found some different body types and body profiles to mix in with sort of a group that always felt a little bit undersized. Yeah, they're, de they're definitely getting bigger. And that, and that we've, we've spoken about that, how, you know, not just Manning and Betts, but I think Chris Hickman um, suddenly becomes a veteran in a weird way in that room, um, just because he's in his second year in the program. And I remember in March, the thing Matt Lubick talked about with Hickman is he's he's was impressed that he's kind of a bulldog as a blocker in watching the film back. And Scott Frost has said he's one of the better blockers they've got. 
and that's pretty high praise for a guy who's in his first year. So with Hickman, it might not all be about the stats. If he can help set a tone for how it's supposed to look like on the outside, where you're just letting the defensive back across from you know, hey, it's going to be a long day, not just covering, but I'm going to wear you out blocking and trying to turn some of those four-yard plays into 40-yard plays. That's a big deal. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. You were kind of getting into how it all works together, and the running back position, um, adding depth, is monster to multiple spots. One, if the running backs have depth, it takes something off of Wandale's shoulders, where you don't have to get him beat up in the trenches as much. And really, that's the only question I have with Wandale was the durability factor. And he himself said he's got to be a little smarter with how he runs and stays healthy. And if he can just play wide receiver and you have running back solved, that's a big deal. And also it can take some hits off your quarterback. So you're talking about if the running backs are in line, you know, you, you, uh, you probably keep in better shape your two most valuable assets that we know of on offense, Wandale and Adrian Martinez. So it, it is, it all, it all, it all fits together like a puzzle. And uh, sometimes we get caught up in the labels. This guy's a receiver. This guy's a running back. What I see is a bunch of different guys who can play different spots, and that's that's the way they're going to operate. Any concern to you um, about the number of guys that have transferred out for Nebraska this offseason? I think they're at 14 or 15 right now, and, and not even just transferred out, but some have just, some have just quit. I feel like that number – is a little bit misleading because it's a lot of guys that weren't playing. It's a lot of guys that either medically retired or are seeking opportunities at a much smaller level. Uh, but I know that, you know, people look at that number and they see 14, 15 transfers and they think, what's wrong with Nebraska? Maybe the number's a little bit high, but I, I'm with you that I, I don't get too fired up about it, mostly because, as you say, if you go through the list, we're not talking about guys who are contributing regularly. And I think that's modern college football now, where after a couple of years, if it's not happening necessarily for a scholarship guy as he had hoped or maybe the coaches had hoped, a lot of times there's that mutual agreement like, well, if you want to keep playing football or if I want to keep playing football, I'm probably going to have to try to find another spot where I can work myself on the field and it's not going to happen here. And I think if you look at a lot of those cases, those are such examples where losing JD Spielman, who's an actual big time player is one thing, but if you're, you know, with all respect to Javon McQuitty, you know, Javon just, it hadn't happened for him here. It hadn't clicked in a few years. It wasn't going to. No, it probably wasn't. And so, um, is it, is it a big deal if somebody like that sets out on their own and leaves that wasn't was probably just going to be on the sidelines? No, it's not. So I, I, I'm not alarmed by it because JD's the only guy who uh, who really that was a significant loss. It does say though you you got to keep you got to develop guys. I mean you you do have to get some guys who. At the wide receiver spot, there has been a lot of turnover where it feels like a guy comes in for a year or so and then he goes out the door. We've seen receivers, scholarship guys who didn't even play in a game here and they left. 
And so, you know, some of them have been bizarre circumstances um, with off the field stuff and that stuff. Maybe you can't control as much, but you you do need to get some stability. And that's really Matt Lubick's charge now is to get this young group where a couple of years from now we're saying, yeah, they they actually stuck around. They're playing and they have now laid a foundation for the next batch of recruits. Shifting gears a little bit, we were talking J.D. Spielman, and I felt like that was kind of the last domino before this offseason sort of closed and we can kind of turn forward to what we think the roster looks like uh, for, for 2020. Do you, now that guys are here, you have Omar Manning, you have Xavier Betts, you have J.D. Spielman gone. We talked a little about uh, what that looks like on offense. Do, do you feel better about, what Nebraska can be now that some of these questions have been answered? Do, do you do you feel like an, an easier sense to look at this team and, and have a an appropriate picture of, of the range of outcomes now that we're kind of beyond sort of the questions that we're hovering over the offense? Yeah, a little bit. Because if you think about recent years, um, like, you know, 2018, there was a lot of excitement and I think doubt that like a guy like Maurice Washington, who was a big time at that point playmaker was going to get here. And he shows up the night before fall camp and he ended up, you know, playing his first year and it making it happen to some degree. But it's nice that this year they've actually got most of those playmaker types like the Manning. They're here, you know, they're here now in June and they're actually going to get a couple months to get their feet on the ground before the practices start. And I think that's a pretty big deal uh, because there was a time you could ask me a month or two ago if I was real confident that Manning would be here already. I would have probably said no. I would have thought maybe later in the summer. So the fact that they're already here uh, is a very significant thing. I think it's going to help behind the scenes with working with the quarterbacks and getting to know Martinez. I'm sure they're going to go out and pitch it around you know, in Hawks and Championship Center and stuff like that and get to know each other. And uh, all that stuff matters. So I do feel better that most, when we talk about the main cogs of the 2020 class, which we liked, that they are actually now part of it. We don't have doubts about it. And uh, it's like, okay, let's just just see if they, they live up to what we thought on the field, but at least they're on the field. And, you know, I'll preface this with saying that Brian Christopherson is not a, uh, a member of the World Health Organization or, you know, Dr. Fauci here. But do you when you look at the, the situation at large, as we sit right now here on June 9th, do you feel confident that we're going to have the season starting September 5th and. Do do you get the sense that we're trending towards college football being played? Yeah, I think they're pushing. uh, I think they're pushing full speed ahead. I mean, we even twenty four seven sports the other day published it, and people can go on our site and see it. Uh, It's the report that the Division One NCAA Council's looking at as for how they want to start up practices. And what it sounds like is we're going to have a six week build up to the season, where basically you're going to get these almost like NFL-style OTAs for two weeks in July, where they're kind of more like walkthrough practices. And then and then you build into your normal fall camp in August. So I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything else about Nebraska getting extra 
the spring practices that they lost, uh, you know, thrown on top of that. So I don't know. That might be a little too much to wish for from everything that's been out there. Uh, but that that to me sounds like, uh, you know, the powers that be are saying uh, unless there is a significant surge interrupts where we are at right now, um, the plan is to to go ahead and we're trusting that each university has a good plan in place to deal with uh, COVID kind of on their own terms. And Nebraska does in that respect. I give Nebraska a lot of credit. Like they were kind of at the forefront of testing people before they got going on campus and getting, you know, getting a, a, a protocol established that I think other people have kind of copycatted. So I think Nebraska's in good shape there. But, you know, with this deal, you just never know. Well, I mean, we'll see where we are a month from now. But I fully expect, because of everything that's at stake, I think there's going to be a full season. And a few weeks ago when I talked to Bill Moose, he didn't flat out say that, but you could tell he was uh, he was tilted toward that optimism. Yeah, and I, I, as someone who was skeptical at the beginning of May, I definitely have swung the other way with it, and I anticipate uh, that they will find a way to, to make this happen. I, I like how universities have switched up schedules. They've been flexible. They've, they've tried to find ways to, to make this work as much as possible, and, and I think we're certainly – trending in the right direction. And I'll be very curious what this means in terms of teams as they prepare for the start of their season. You get those extra weeks uh, to kind of make up for the loss of the spring. What does that mean? And, and how do teams like Nebraska kind of use that uh, to, to make up for the fact that it would have been a big spring for guys like Nick Henrich or Ty Robinson or Jamie Nance to Marion Houston, Ramir Johnson, guys of that nature who really need every extra rep they can get. So uh, certainly we'll keep the summer interesting as it as it always is but it starts so much sooner and so uh that will be interesting too how they're going to be able to to mix and match things because fall camp already feels incredibly long for those that cover it for those that coach it and for those that that practice in it but now you add those extra weeks to it and it's really going to feel like a slog to get to that september 5th game yeah you're gonna have to have a really good plan in place to keep guys fresh and keep guys motivated. And uh, I think even sometimes you might have to step back for a day or so and be like, okay, you're going to have to have a, you know, guys are going to need days off somewhere along that line. Uh, So how that is managed by different coaches is going to be, I think one of the, one of the big uh, sidebars to who has success and who doesn't uh, when it comes to the fall. The good thing for Nebraska is, they were planning on simplifying on offense and defense some things, even going into the spring. I think they kind of looked at the whole picture and said, we got to we gotta just get really good at some you know basic things first before we get too convoluted here. And so when you kind of went into the spring with that premise, even before this disruption, that can be useful because your plan – isn't really being taken off course, you know, as far as simplification and kind of keeping things um, to a chapter one or chapter two level and teaching. So I think, I think that could be a benefit, but we'll see. Um, I, we had a story on 24 seven sports about teams who are well-equipped to deal with this situation. And Nebraska actually made the list as one of those that our national guy thought 
you know, could be that. And I actually agree because of the offensive line being so experienced, you've got a returning quarterback. Yeah, there's question marks like every program has, but Nebraska, your main, you know, some of your main cogs on offense, you feel like at least these guys have been around the block a time or two. Yeah, and then adding to all of that, you do have some experience on your offensive line, and that certainly uh, should help with that in terms of hitting the ground running uh, in your run game. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get into Nebraska's latest commitment, Seth Malcolm. Uh, and then we'll, we don't have the wheel today because we don't have Michael Brunts, and he is, uh, he is a purveyor of the wheel. Uh, but we came up with our own topic that we will get into as we kind of assess and, and break down who we think can lead Nebraska in terms of sacks and pass rushing uh, this year as well. So that'll be next on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are back. Brian, we we don't have Brunts here. Do you want to briefly get into your thoughts on Dalvin Cook holding out? (laughs) Oh, man. Teachers away. We're going to set everything on fire while he's gone. Uh, Dal- it sounds like Dalvin Cook has all the leverage and the Vikings are maybe screwed. And I know you think you know, 4-12 anyway, um, which I think is a little pessimistic. And that comes from somebody who's the ultimate Vikings pessimist. As you know, I'm always like kind of like, yeah, they ain't winning this week. I think they're going to be like a still an 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and seven kind of team. But uh, if Dalvin is not in the equation, I might knock that win total down a couple. Yeah, uh, it's always tough, though, because you look at all these running backs that have held out, and while the teams haven't been super successful, they haven't really missed anything in their run game. Like, it's kind of a difficult thing to do right now to hold out as a running back when you see the the devaluing of the position throughout the course of the league. And the Vikings were already kind of preparing for this by going and drafting Alexander Madison. So those are those are your, your real brief Minnesota Vikings thoughts that everybody – Knew that they were getting as soon as they found out hey, Michael Brunts wasn't on this spot. We, we could localize more reps for Amir Abdullah, maybe. Huh? huh? <laughs> <laughs> no? Maybe. All right. Maybe. He, he'd be a good third down compliment to Alexander Madison. I could see that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I could see that. All right. So, Seth Malcolm committed to Nebraska on Saturday. This was not a big surprise. I think it was trending this direction for a little while, but it's still a, a good get for Nebraska in terms of a guy that can come in and really just have the opportunity to develop. I mean, he's an eight-man football player at Fremont Mills Community Schools over in uh, Tabor, Iowa. 
And um, a guy that plays all over the field. He's a running back on offense. He's played some H-back. He's, he's played linebacker, both inside, outside. He's asked to do everything because it's eight-man football. He's really excited about the prospect of coming in and learning to play an inside linebacker spot under Barrett Rude. What have you kind of learned about Seth Malcolm as you've gotten to know a little bit more after the commitment? And how do you feel about Nebraska really kind of going hard after inside linebacker? But not only that, kind of changing the body profile and the overall athleticism that they're looking for at that inside spot after two years of playing in the Big Ten. Well, first off, I guess the thing that sticks out to me with Malcolm is I looked at his offer list. He's one of those guys you're like, okay, who else is interested in him? Because he's such an interesting prospect because of the eight-man thing. And I, I think 24-7 Sports does a really good job of uh, you know, digging everywhere to put the ratings together. But it's, I understand how it could be difficult to know where to slot a guy who's playing at that level of football, how does he compare to other guys at higher levels? And I think that may be the case with Malcolm. But it tells you something when you when you look at, okay, Nebraska's offered him, that's one thing. But so is you know Matt Campbell, good coach. Kansas State, good coach. Uh, Minnesota, who's been recruiting at a high level, as we know, um, with Fleck. Um, the local schools where he's in that radius of that 500 mile radius of, they all knew about Seth Malcolm and they had decided, uh, this is a guy we want. And so, uh, that's what jumps out to me first off is, um, I think people who have any skepticism should take a look around and, and be like, you know, he's got good film and a lot of, uh, pretty strong coaches agree that he that he fits and and could work on their program and uh it feels like he was kind of in a, from a husker family all along I, there's pictures of him he was posting where he had gone to games when he was little and stuff like that and so uh i know you felt like this one was tilted nebraska's way for a long time yeah he, he said something kind of interesting when i spoke to him saturday night where he basically said you know the family and i we decided to go over on Tuesday. We They couldn't meet with the coaches or anything, but he just wanted to be on campus. He wanted to walk around campus. He wanted to get, you know, one more feel for things, get his bearings for where certain buildings were, and then he just he was ready to go. And he said it, it was something that he had known in his head for a while, uh, but he is holding out hope a little bit that he could still check out places a couple more times. Uh, he'd been to Kansas State several times. He'd, he'd been to Minnesota. He'd been to Iowa State. He'd really done his due diligence, and this wasn't a, a situation where he'd only been to Nebraska and was waiting to see other places. But I, I think he wanted to collect a little bit more information, but he also knew that the best opportunity for him and the coaches I think he was most excited about were in Lincoln. And so uh, he he looked at it and basically said, this is where this is where I need to be. And so for Nebraska, this gives him three inside linebackers now. You have Randolph Kapai. You have Christopher Paul, and then you have Seth Malcolm, and three very different guys, very different backgrounds. I mean, you have Christopher Paul, who's basically been an inside linebacker most of his life. You have Randolph Kapai, who's moved around defenses and is kind of a, a freak of an athlete that is growing into his body, so you don't know quite how big he's going to get. And then you have Seth Malcolm, who's playing at the, the eight-man level, and all of these guys are being viewed by Nebraska to sort of be – a new version of inside linebackers where they want guys that are pretty fast, but also have the height that they can put some weight on them and can hold up 
in the Big Ten as well. I mean, you you compare them with some of the other inside linebackers we've seen Nebraska take, not just this staff, but previous staffs, and even when they were looking for the 3-4 defense, it's just a little bit different. And so, uh, you know, Christopher Paul, not as big as either Seth Malcolm or Randolph Kapai, but he certainly packs that kind of punch. And Martez Thrower fits that category. There's a, a guy out of New Jersey, Makai Gabor, or Gabayer, uh, uh, probably Gabayer. He's um, he's another guy that Nebraska is still sort of recruiting. And so it's basically a, a deal where I'll be curious if they're done now at inside linebacker, if they plan to keep adding uh, to, to that position. But it's one of those spots, you know, with Colin Miller and Will Honus. You got a couple guys on the way out, and then you have a whole bunch of questions behind it. You know, what are they going to get from Etta Malga Clements? What is Nick Henrich going to bring to the table? Is Jackson Hanna an inside guy or an outside guy? Are we talking about Luke Reimer as a special team player? Or are we talking about Luke Reimer as a guy that can take real reps there at inside linebacker? It's right in the middle of the defense, and it's kind of the heart of a lot of questions for me as I look at that unit right now. I think this is also the first full year we really get to see Barrett Rude's, like his guys, kind of attack it. You know, Colin Miller of the one exception, but Will Honus is a Rude guy. Uh, he was handpicked by Root in the first class. And then you've got the guys you mentioned that are like redshirt freshmen, class of 2019 guys, Henrich, Reimer, you know, Snodgrass, Hannah. All those guys are guys that Root brought in sort of after he kind of took a look of his landscape. With There were some linebackers from the Riley era who never really got off the ground, and they kind of left before we ever saw him play. It just didn't fit. And so I feel like this is the first season where it, it's really like, okay, this is, these are guys that he's recruited, that he's sat in living rooms with, that he's talked to their families and his players about what they want and what they want to establish at the position. And let's see what they got, you know? And I have, a, I have an open mind about it. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm like you. I consider it a question mark right now. Um, but I also... I've also said this and believe this. It could be that position where um, if a few of the young guys come along and if Keyshawn Green is a special player, uh, maybe by the end of this season, we're looking at it saying, hey, they got a pretty nice little future at this position. And now yeah. it's just adding on and building the depth. So it's a big that they can they could put a big answer to that question mark right away this season uh, It's up to them. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair. Um, that is that's that's a very good point. And uh, Keyshawn Green is someone, and, and Snodgrass too. I mean, there's just a lot of numbers at that inside linebacker <clears throat> spot, which makes me wonder if if guys aren't going to be flexible in terms of moving around, or if it if you're truly locked in at the inside spot, or, or however they're going to approach it. So obviously, uh, we'll see how that is going to play out. Let's stay on the defensive side of the ball. We talked a little offense you know, in the first half of this podcast. You, you mentioned one of the things you wanted to discuss today for, for this show is who could lead Nebraska in terms of sacks and, and pressures in this year's 2020 team. You lose Khalil Davis, you lose Carlos Davis. Those guys were pretty big in terms of what uh, Nebraska brought pressure-wise. I mean, Ben Stilley is your your most returning sacks and he's averaging about three and a half to four and a half a season. Uh, what do you, how do you kind of handicap this? Do you look for someone on that front four or do you think this is a year where you see an outside linebacker kind of break out a little bit? 
I'd like to see an outside backer do it. I'd, I'd really like like a Joe Doman. I mean, ideally like a Caleb Panner, but Caleb's got a lot to prove. But I think Joe Doman is probably maybe the safest pick because it's a position where <clears throat> you're going to expect him to get to the quarterback. Luke Gifford was able to do it um, a couple of years ago. And I think if he can kind of <clears> – <throat> sorry, my – voice is going on me yeah we're it's, we're I, hearing that I'm, I'm worried you need to get a drink of water i can fill some time uh, here no i'm good i got it i got it together now that always sucks when you're like on the radio or on a pot and it starts to do that and you're like what am i gonna do? how do i get out of this situation you know for like 10 seconds but i'm good i've recovered now i um, i'll tell you a, a trick of the trade once i started doing that radio show i drink an insane amount of water in that hour it's an no. hour show but it's just constantly having water, and I, I feel like that's part of it, is that you always have to make sure that your uh, your your throat is, is ready to go and, you know, that you're you're clear of any sort of dryness. So Well, right. maybe maybe I just get emotional about the subject matter. I was getting a little, <laughs> you know, overclamped. So. You just want some damn sacks. Yeah, I'd like to see that number go up. Uh, Nebraska, I looked at the – I looked it up. They averaged 2.25 sacks a game last year, which isn't terrible. It's uh, it ranks basically 55th or so in the FBS, so they're they're right in that meaty part of the curve, as George Costanza so would say, not showing off, not falling behind. But they would they I'd like to see get it up to where they're like a top 30 type sack team. Um, and I think a big part of that would be Doman having a year where he gets like seven sacks or something like that. And then Ben Stilley mixes in five or six sacks. I think it's going to either be Doman or Stilley. Who do you think who will lead in sacks? Um, I, I think it'll be Stilley. I thought it was going to be Stilley last year. I, I think it'll be Stilley again this year. I just I don't know if there's an outside linebacker that I think is going to get more than four and a half. Uh, and I, I think Stilley could have sort of a six and a half, seven sack season. I I think Ben Stilley has a, a good year in him where, you know, what Khalil Davis did last year, I think Ben Stilley can do that. I, I think that he can, uh, I think he can provide more in terms of production than what we've seen. And he hasn't been bad. He's just been consistent around where he's at. But I, I think that there's a kind of a, a little bit of a breakout that we haven't seen yet. I think those sacks, like I said, are more likely to come from that defensive end spot. You know, I want to be able to sit here and say Caleb Tanner is going to be able to have a breakout year. Or Garrett Nelson's going to put it together and he's going to get seven and a half, eight sacks. But I, I just don't know. And I, I can't I can't yet buy into these outside linebackers. You know, maybe Nico Cooper's the guy that shows up on campus and and for whatever reason, it all comes together and Nebraska turns him loose and he's a man on fire. I, some there's a part of me that feels like this question sets you up to say Jojo Doman or, or Ben Stilley, but the answer is going to be someone that we're not even talking about or I maybe haven't even mentioned yet because we always expect things to, to sort of be progressive in which you, you hear about a guy and he plays a little bit and then he kind of has his breakout and it gets a little bit better and so on and so forth. Sometimes guys just show up and they become players right away. And, and that hasn't happened at Nebraska a lot lately, but maybe there's somebody in this mm. mix at defensive end or outside linebacker that can really bring it and just sort of catches us by surprise. I, I feel like we haven't had that happen a lot with Nebraska football, but it does happen in sports. I mean, sometimes guys just turn out to be good or better than you expect. 
uh, and, and just turn it on once they're on the field. Yeah, I was looking at the numbers. Khalil led the way with eight last year. Carlos Davis was second with four. Then it's Stilly, and he had three. And Caleb Tanner, here's where it, here's the ugly spot. Tanner and Doman each had two and a half, so give them five total between the two of them last year. And then, at least on the sheet I'm looking at, Alex Davis didn't have any, which yep. surprised. I surprised me. I thought he actually played a little bit better at the end of the last season than some people noticed, but he didn't have a sack. And so basically I count five sacks total from the outside backer spot. Maybe I'm missing one somewhere, but uh, that's, that's just not good enough. You know, that's gotta be a spot where uh, that's gotta be double digits. And then some from that position. Um, I mean, in a given year, you'd love it where you had just a freak who got you double digits almost by himself from that position. And so that's that's a blemish. And, you know, new coach and Mike Dawson, uh, guys have opportunity. We'll see. But uh, that's when you talk about like big question marks, which we were saying earlier about middle backer outside backer to me was was just as much of uneven play last season and especially in getting to the quarterback and being game changers. All right. Brian, do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to add before we depart for this week? No, I got my emotions in check now. I feel like my voice is evened (laughs) out. Um, You drank some coffee. Is that what you did? Yeah, that's my form of water. I just stick a bunch of... (laughs) Some bitter water. Coffee grounds into my water, and that's how I get through talking. But... Um, no, I don't have much else to say. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting next month, though. I think on this on this beat, as as we get into practices starting earlier and all that stuff, it, July is going to be different than we've ever seen it before, and sports is going to be different. And just because it's going to all kind of come back in a wave, I feel like near in July, and people are just going to go ape about it. And so I'm. It's going to be. I mean, weird, but kind of cool and odd, and uh, it's going to be uh, – I'm ready for it. Yeah. I, I, I do have one final thing for you. I don't want you to think too much on this. Who are the first three guys that would come to mind for Nebraska if there's a virtual Big Ten media days that you would have representing you for the 2020 season? I've got three uh, that, I can, that I can throw at you if you need time to think. Otherwise, we'll see if, how close they are. Now is the question: Who do I think they would put up, or who do I? Who would I do? Like, who would you idea? put up? Who okay. cares what they end up doing? Okay. Um, okay, one of mine would be Cam Taylor Britt, because I just think I love talking to him. I just think yeah. I love I love his personality. Same. He's on my list. Yeah, I love his personality. He's just a happy person when you talk to him. Like, yeah, I the Big I, Ten needs some Cam juice. Yeah, you, you, you feed off of him. And I think in a time like this where people are down about something, I think Cam would have good perspective on a lot of things. And uh, he's very good up front. I would I would say Cam Taylor Britt is one. Give me one now. So Cam Taylor Britt would be the defensive player I would send. I, I think it's obvious that you would send your quarterback. But here's the other offensive guy that I think that should go because I think he has a chance to represent you on all Big Ten lists. I'd go Dedrick Mills. I think Dedrick Mills should be there for Nebraska. I think he could be a real focal point of this offense and this team. 
in 2020. I think he'd represent him well. He's a good interview. I think he's an interesting guy. Uh, I would I would go with Dedrick Mills. Yeah, he's also um, – and he's got a great – like, it's been tough at times, his journey here, but his story and how he's fought his way back to this level, he's been open about at times yeah. to talk about. And it's, a, it's kind of a, a motivating story, I think, for a lot of guys in his circumstance who had to go the JUCO route, and you're like, I'm, I'm never going to see daylight again as far as football is concerned. And then you you work your way to it. So he would be pretty good. Um, I think we nailed three that would kind of they would definitely do it justice. Um, you should just go full hype and just go like Omar Manning right away. Just yeah. send Omar who hasn't who hasn't done hardly any interviews and just like here you go. That'd be interesting. Yeah, uh, that worked <laughs> out well when Nebraska sent Tanner Lee. So <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I don't I, think Omar would want to do that either. I could see where you send like a Matt Farniak to represent your offensive line. Um, I know Nebraska likes to try to incorporate a player from in the state, but I don't know who that would be in this Stilly. current group. Could it be could Stilly. be Ben Stilly. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I feel like they have condensed options now what it actually looks like for big 10 media days this year, since it won't be in Chicago. I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll certainly keep an eye on it, but it's around this time of year where I start thinking who would I send and who would, you know, Nebraska actually send, which aren't always the same thing. I think we're of a like mind on it. I, I, I would almost go with the three that you were thinking. So, uh, yeah. Yep. There you go. Well, so that leaves off Wandale Robinson, though. Wandale's got another year where he can do it next year. You know, that would be what I would think. Um, although, I mean, if you're Nebraska's in this spot where they've really struggled because of their level of play, but also to for a variety of reasons, they just haven't been able to get guys on the all-conference team. Mm-hmm. And if you think Wandale is one of your best bets to blow up this year, uh, maybe you want to get him in front of people and on people's mind right away. Um, I don't think it matters that much, though, honestly, um, toward that sort of thing. So, And I, I would send him next year, and uh, I think we've got the list. We should send that right over to Keith Mann. And, um, <laughs> we've got some big ideas here. You know Keith would appreciate hearing from us and, and basically just telling him what to do. There's nothing he would like more than that. So. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks uh, for listening to another one of the Husker 24-7 podcasts. I think the three of us will be back together next week. Only one podcast this week, but we'll be back with a couple more next week. And uh, we'll see what happens between now and then. Could be big news, could be slow news. It's Nebraska football. You never really know what you're going to get. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.